In the last episode, we considered the lost souls. One particular avenue for them is to transfer schools, which is the expertise of today's guest. I'll be joined by Deborah Shames. Deb started Personal Best College Coaching in 2003 and now heads a team of six counselors who work to help families navigate the complex world of first year and transfer college admissions. She's a certified school counselor in both New York and New Jersey. Coach Deb also serves as the transfer advisor for the Kaplan Education Foundation. Coach Deb graduated from Cornell and earned a Master of Arts from New York University in Applied Psychology and Counselor Education. Coach Deb also specializes in working with transfer students, as well as first-generation, underrepresented, and non-traditional students. Deb, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Great. So... Could you share with us just a little bit about your background and what got you into college consulting? Absolutely. So I started out as a high school guidance counselor, and I did that for a few years until I decided I wanted to have a third child. <laughs> and sure. I don't think I can be at my desk with three different drop-offs by 730 in the morning. So mm-hmm. I decided to branch out on my own. And I started, and I think my first year through doing presentations at libraries and local houses of worship. I think I had six clients. And since then, I have grown tremendously. And I now have a team of six counselors, including myself, as well as several writing coaches. I do this full time. The rest of my team are all currently high school guidance counselors and do this on the side. And then I started working as a transfer counselor almost as soon as I started my practice. And I was working with local students who were either transferring four-year to four-year or working with community college students who were looking to transfer from community college to four-year schools. And then about 14 years ago, I responded to an ad on the NACAC listserv for the Kaplan Leadership Program in New York because they needed a transfer admissions advisor. So I've worked there since then, working with low-income Black and Latinx community college students and helping them with the transfer process. But I also do transfer students with my own practice as well. Well, that's great that you're focused on that. I imagine it's quite a need, uh, just with what a mess, you know, uh, college admissions has been in the last couple of years. I imagine there's a lot of people looking to transfer at this point. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I think, you know, my youngest graduated in 2021 and, you know, they didn't have the opportunity to really visit many colleges. And even mm. those that they did, they ended up attending Rochester Institute of Technology, which we were able to get a one-on-one in-person tour in the summer of 2020, which was almost unheard of then. We you know, wore our masks around campus and everything. But I'm working with a lot of students who graduated either in 2020 or in 2021 who really didn't get the opportunity to get a sense of what the schools were like that they were choosing to attend prior to enrollment. You know, it used to be when I would guide students, I would say, oh, if you're, you know, before you commit to a school, you should really try to spend more than just a couple hours of a tour and info session on campus. You should try to see if they have a hosting program to stay overnight or, you know, mm. shadow someone for the day. And I think a lot of that has fallen by the wayside because of COVID, understandably. But at the right. same time, it's made it really difficult for students to get a true sense of whether they would fit in 
beyond just what the academic offerings are at a particular school. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just, you know, browsing in your website a little bit, it's personal best college coaching. It posits that students need adequate time to work on grades, activities, and experiences so they can put their best foot forward when applying to college. Could you kind of explain that part of your philosophy? That was something that stuck out to me. Yeah, I think that, you know, we like to tell our students, you know, you don't apply to college in a weekend or even in a month, typically, or hopefully. We really emphasize with students that the research is important and understanding why schools are a good fit, not only academically, but socially, emotionally, you know, professionally, spiritually, whatever things you're looking for. We want the students to investigate all of those angles so that they really get a sense of fit overall. You know, we're not big at all on we ignore rankings. We just don't believe that they're accurate. They don't measure what they're purported to measure. And Mm -hmm. so we want students to look at the offerings that the school has in relationship to what their priorities are. So having ample time to do that research is really critical. And we do a whole session with our students teaching them how to research a school, not only on the college's own website, but also on other peripheral websites that will give them more of a sense of the student culture and the vibe and, you know, the overall fit for them. So having ample time to really dig in, we recommend a minimum of 45 minutes to an hour per school that you're researching. That's just to get started. That's the preliminary stuff. That's not even, okay, I've decided it stays on my list. And now here I am, you know, a few months later determining whether or not I'm going to attend that school because I was, you know, happy to get into a lot of schools that I was applying to. And so now how do I make the best decision on where I'm going to be the happiest and thrive the most? I imagine that must be a challenge after working with some kids with underdeveloped executive function skills. How do you deal with that kind of conflict of, you know, getting to look ahead while also dealing with teenagers? Yeah, I think that that's definitely a challenge across the board. And I say that with my mom hat as well as my counselor hat on. Mm -hmm. I think every student is different. I certainly have some students who are super motivated and really our goal is for everybody to take ownership of the process. There are definitely plenty of students who need a little help or a lot of help getting to that point or will never get to that point. And they're like, some of them will be honest and say, hey, I'm not going to do that research. Like, it's never going to happen. So we, we sort of accept that for where it is. And that can be particularly challenging if there's a why us essay or an interview that they have for that particular school and they, they haven't done that research. But I think that we try to break the process down into manageable chunks. So we don't just send them off and say, go research these 20 schools. We say, okay, you know, we're going to start with three of the schools on your list and we're going to set timelines that seem to be manageable for you. So, you know, if that's one school a week, if that's two schools every three days, like we talk to them and try to figure out what that looks like for them so that they can feel those incremental successes as they move through the process. And, you know, and then we nag them a little bit. (laughs) And our nagging sounds a little bit different than the parents nagging, even if we're saying exactly the same thing. Right. Well, you're not the parent, right? Right. 100%. 100%. Any more than my kids necessarily want to hear something from me as opposed to an outside third party. It's just the way it is, which I totally understand. Well, that's a core EF skill that you're mentioning too, by the way, just about breaking into chunks, how to eat a whale one bite at a time approach, I guess is the way I like to put it. That might be the most, next to planning an organization, that might be the most important EF skill in my mind, because it's amazing how much that alters the picture. 
when you take something that's like, here's this enormous, like, right. you know, months long task. I mean, to a teenager, it looks, I mean, to us, it looks difficult. To a teenager, it looks insurmountable. So absolutely. Definitely that one alteration just for some reason changes. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I think it's breaking it down to the chunk and breaking it down in the timeline as well. Right. So, you know, it's not just you have to do these particular schools, but this week we're going to accomplish this tomorrow. Let's do this. And so and also every kid is different in terms of how they, you know, when we're dealing with essays, which is a huge piece of what we help the students with the brainstorming process, the Mm -hmm. editing Mm -hmm. process, making sure their Mm -hmm. voice is coming through, making sure parents don't have a significant hand, but helping them to look at are you going to feel more successful if you knock out the 330 word essays or the one 600 word essay for a different school? What's going to line you up best to get success and feel like, okay, I'm making progress on this. Every every kid is different. So we kind of talk that through with them as well. Right. Well, momentum is the most powerful force in the universe, isn't it? So speaking of the timeline, when is it that you typically start with students applying to colleges and, and what's sort of the ideal timing? I don't know that there's an, an ideal time. I will not meet with students prior to January freshman year. I just think it's too early. I have had parents that have eighth grade students that contact me. I'm like, no, we're, we're just <laughs> not doing that. It's already crazy enough and it ends up being too much. And I want kids to focus on being kids. I want kids to be able to focus on acclimating to high school you know it's not let's not start thinking about let's start let's not start thinking about college in ninth grade with the exception of hey you know what what you're doing now is laying a foundation for the opportunities that you're going to have four years from now or three years from now so we want that to happen but i would say you know ideally certainly by the spring of junior year you know, not later than that, but we are seeing every year that more families with sophomores and occasionally freshmen are seeking us out earlier. They want to get a testing timeline going. They Mm -hmm. want to understand Mm -hmm. how different pursuits that their child might have, whether it's academic or musical or athletic or whatever it is, how that might fit into the bigger picture. You know, so I think that Ideally, I would say somewhere between sophomore year and the middle of junior year. But we still have families who contact us October of senior year <laughs> when right. they suddenly realize, wow, this is more complicated than we were anticipating. Right. And we, we do right. our best as a team to try to accommodate them. But, right. you know. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, I guess the, the best thing you could do for, for freshmen really is, and you sort of alluded to this a little bit, but sort of forward their interests. And I wonder about... Like, say they're a good artist. Like, how do you sort of develop that skill? Are there contests or awards that you should be applying for? Are there programs that you should be thinking about signing up for? Are there ways to kind of, you know, augment that experience and, and, and forward what you're doing there, independent of where you end up going to college? Yes, I, I think that it is. But that is not something like that we specifically would help with. We can if we summer programs, yes, but like finding competitions and that sort of stuff. I have families who come to me who have found all kinds of things. You know, literary competitions and artistic mm-hmm. competitions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they typically find those out, I would say, more from their school teachers um, in those mm-hmm. subject areas or private teachers, depending on. Right. Right. But I think that, you know, helping students explore their interests, certainly as a freshman and even as a sophomore and into the beginning of junior year, that's the time to try out different activities 
that maybe you've always been a soccer player and you got to high school and you know what, it was too intense or you got cut from the team or whatever it was. And now you want to explore other things that maybe aren't so intense and might allow me to, you know what, I've always liked drawing and maybe I'll join the art club or, you know, whatever. What do you think is the most difficult part about applying to colleges for students? I think a couple of things. Number one, I think that there's pressure to attend schools that everybody at their high school has heard of. And so, you know, especially here in northern New Jersey, tri-state area, you know, we have a lot of students, most of our students in Bergen County, New Jersey, but we have students in New York City, in Westchester, down in the Princeton area, and really all over the country because we have students. And this year we had a student from Japan and we've had students from Hong Kong. So I think that applying to schools that there's a lot of name brand recognition that ends up being a priority over fit. So I think that that's a challenge combined with just the fact that, what, like we talked about earlier, the executive functioning skills that are required to do this process. And, you know, people who are lucky enough, and I, and I mean that sincerely, to have an independent counselor, it helps them navigate the process in a way that somebody who doesn't have either those resources or, you know, whatever it might be, it makes it much more challenging and daunting and might deter someone from pursuing schools because they're not getting good information in some of the massive high schools that students attend. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. How many kids do those, those counselors have like a big high school we're talking about? Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think nationally the public high school rate, I think it's biggest in California it's somewhere between like five and 700 students per counselor. Like they're not getting individualized. Yeah. yeah. How do you deal with that many applications? That's they're wow. not getting help, which is why, That's you know, crazy. a lot of students don't end up doing, you know, in the captain leadership program where I've been the transfer advisor, we've had students who were told in high school, Oh, you don't need to take SATs or ACTs. You're just going to CUNY two year schools. Like it's, it doesn't matter for you. And unless you have somebody who's going to give them wow. that guidance and, and direct them, it's, um, it's really it's really criminal. You know, the most challenging aspect is that it's just daunting to have so many schools. You've got over 3,000 four-year colleges in the country. And how do you whittle that list down and find schools that are actually a good fit beyond the statistics? If you use a Naviance or some, some kind of a platform that you put mm. in your stuff and you just put in your major. Right that's not giving you a whole lot of accurate information. <laughs> it's hard to create an algorithm for picking a good college for your personality. Well, because um, it's, also, it's not just about do they offer your major? It's about do right. they offer your major and teach it to you in a way that you can learn effectively. So the best quote unquote business school or business program for one student might be a terrible way for somebody else to learn. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that that you know, that can't be figured out in an algorithm. Students have to understand, you know, what kind of environment serves them and where they're really going to struggle. You know, for me, I went Mm -hmm. to a very large school with very large, I mean, it was considered a mid-sized school, but our lecture classes, intro lecture classes could be anywhere from a couple hundred to a thousand students. And I was a terrible note taker. And we didn't have back in the day, there were no laptops I could bring to class. Like, you know, it was it was just not a thing. And I didn't have the confidence at that point to go to the professor and say, hi, I was I'm in your Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 905. I completely lost you after five minutes. Can you re-explain the class to me? Right. You know, it just right. wasn't 
how I learned. And, but I didn't know from this as I was, I was applying to schools that I heard of, that I'd heard of, that my family members went to, or that I really liked the info session that got me out of math class that I got to go listen to when they came to my high school, you know? So it's, um, I think that there's a lot of shot in the dark stuff, you know, for students today as well. One thing that stuck out to me in the first segment of my conversation with Deb was that number that she put out there that she would like the kids that she is serving to spend 45 minutes to an hour researching each school. Now, that sounds ambitious. (laughs) I guess particularly for kids who are putting 15 or 20 schools on their list, although those are probably the ones that are putting in that amount of time. But just stepping back and looking at it for a while from the general standpoint of the 17, 18-year-old profile, that's a really tough ask, particularly in senior year and senior fall when they're being torn in so many different directions by sports. They've kind of reached the pinnacle of all high school activities. You know, they're the ones who are the editors of the paper, who are occupying the leadership positions in all those clubs. And the academics are the hardest they've ever been and the most highly impactful on their transcripts. So it's good they have that support system in place, I think, to do a little bit of coaching them along the way and doing the research and completing what is sneakily a time-consuming process. And doing the research, I think, is one of those elements of the application that does require perhaps more time than it looks like on the surface. The other one I would say is probably the essays. So I'd say that coaching these kids with their executive functioning skills in researching these colleges might be the single most important thing to do when you're doing these applications senior fall. Another thing that stuck out to me was the exchange about extracurricular developments as students grow up. And we sort of talked about it, particularly in terms of freshmen, sophomore years, kind of do the things to do to prepare to get into that college process before you're actually a junior or senior. And I mean, I think this is a frequent theme in a lot of you know my discussions with these educational consultants. Really, what is too niche and what is not in today's world in which niche is something that's highly valued? In order to get into the Stanfords and the Yales and the, and the Harvards, you have to be an expert on something so very, very focused, like cosplay for anime or something that is just so artificially, I'd say, concentrated for a kid of 17 or 18 years old. I certainly didn't have everything figured out at that age in terms of the ambitions that I had for my life. So it's unfortunate that that is what is being asked of those kids at that age. On the other hand, that is what the world values. So I think it can be very difficult to walk that line between conforming to what society is going to ask of those students to get into the schools that are going to provide the avenues to actually succeed in corporate America versus having them enjoy a childhood and a young adulthood where they can actually explore and discover the things that really are going to be important to them in the long run. There's a balance to be struck between those two worlds. Could you explain your program for assisting students who wish to transfer schools? Absolutely. So we work with students who have had various reasons for needing or wanting to transfer. So in some situations, 
It's been where a student gets into a school and decides it's not a good fit. In some instances, it's a situation where a student got into a school and has done poorly academically and needs to transfer schools. Sometimes it will be a situation where a student has had a disciplinary issue or something where they cannot return to that school. And so wherever the student is at, I try to meet them and we map out a plan. It's very common for students who are in a wrong fit school to start feeling that as, you know, super early in freshman year. You know, it Mm -hmm. might be that they got to a school that they weren't able to visit in person and they didn't realize that it was very much a certain social vibe or a certain political vibe or whatever it might be that it's Mm -hmm. just not who they are. Or they just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not finding my people. And they forget that it takes time to do that. And that typically in high school, you've been with a lot, you know, unless you're going to a a magnet school or a private school in a public high school in your town, if you've lived in the same place, you've mostly been with the same kids, you know, for several years. So I would say Thanksgiving of freshman year is the, the most common time that I hear from students. I don't know. I don't know if I'm in the right place. Right about now, and we're right as we're recording. Yep, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I encourage those students to stick it out for the spring semester or to come home and go to a local college or community college if they don't want to incur the expense, if they're truly miserable where they are. You know, they can come home and, and regroup, but it's super important to not just jump ship randomly. We want students to be, you know, I emphasize the fact that students need to be moving towards something, not just away from something. You know, and I want them to understand this was not working for me. And these are the things that now I realize actually really matter to me. And Mm -hmm. so can can help me find schools that have those characteristics. And so in terms of what the process looks like, I have extensive surveys, both for freshmen and sophomore um, transfer applicants. And there's a parent survey, there's a student survey. And we take that information along with their high school and college transcripts, their list of activities, et cetera. And I help create a list for them. And then we identify, all right, what are the deadlines we're targeting? And one of the challenges within the transfer process, there are several, it's not the same as it is as a freshman applicant. Number one, the common app for transfers is really the uncommon app. I've spoken to numerous reps, I've spoken to colleagues. It's terrible. They revamped it, I don't know, maybe seven years ago. I don't remember. But no school wants exactly the same essay, exactly the same length different schools. And it's not just supplementals. One school might have a, why do you want to transfer that's 1500 characters? And another school has one that's 500 words. And so it's very difficult for the students to navigate. And there are still actually other schools that will use the seven freshman prompts from the Common App as their main essay. So it's uncommon. (laughs) Well, so there's no Common App. So the only thing that's common about it really is that you're putting in your information and you know, address and all that. Right, exactly. And the other piece of it that's really frustrating is that once you've submitted the Common App for any school or like some special scholarship programs that you can do through the Common App for transfers, you can't change anything. So the Common App for freshmen, you want to change something, add test scores, delete test scores, like whatever it is, you can change it between submissions. Anything that you've submitted, you can't undo to file for a different school in the general parts of the application. So again, it really punishes if they do something Mm. incorrectly, if they Mm. realize something after the fact, it becomes like a whole thing. So super frustrating. But we help them go through and look at the deadlines. That's another piece of it that's an issue is that 
The deadlines vary from school to school. For a fall mm-hmm. transfer, it could mm-hmm. be as early as February 1st or as late as, you know, for a non-rolling school, as late as April 15th. And you may not hear from the school with the later deadline until after you would have been required to deposit at a prior school. There's no common deposit. Right. And so it oh, just wow. sets up a lot of difficulty for students mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. try to figure out the timeline. Do I commit to a school before I've heard from my top choice because I don't want to lose that one? It's a lot. So, you know, we work with them to walk them through what all of that looks like, you know, put together a chart and figure out what are the essays, where can I double dip, start with the longest one and then cut it down for right. other schools. Where do I need to get recommendations? Because in the common app for transfers, they allow for professional, personal, or academic. And each school again offers something different in terms of amount and which ones they'll allow the students to submit. With thousands of schools out there, I imagine it must be difficult to keep track of all of those various deadlines and timelines, I guess, for the transfers. Do you have like a spreadsheet with that or like how do you? Well, we have each student put together a spreadsheet that has a list of the essays. It has a list of the deadlines. You know, again, different schools also require different forms depending on what they're looking for. They might want mid-semester grades. They might not. They might want a college report that verifies you're in good academic standing, they might not care. They might take the common app, they might have their own application. So we put all of that together in a chart and you know, just keep referring back to that chart so that everything is organized and you know that the students know what they have to do, when they need to do it, how they need to do it. Again, it's breaking it down into those more manageable chunks. And I think one of the other challenges that we see or that I did this year is I had several students who were looking to do spring transfer who didn't make that determination until early in the fall. And at that point, there are a lot of the spring transfer deadlines are October 1st with mm. you know a few more mm. uh, November 1st. And then there are some mm. that are later than that, but it's challenging to try to get that mm. stuff done while you're also juggling your class load at your four-year school or your two-year school, actually. Which is probably why you're coaching them to stick it out through the spring semester in many cases. Well, I think that's part of it, but also for them to understand two things. Number one, it might get better. I have plenty of students where they started out and they're a little rocky their first semester, and then they found their footing, they found their people, you know, in the spring. And I think it's also, yeah, just to give them time to kind of get their priorities figured out so that Mm -hmm. they're not just jumping to the next vine that's swinging through the forest because that's the one they can catch. Right. Escapism, right? Right, exactly. Uh, What are the admission rates like for transfers? Oh, it's so different. You can't even predict. I mean, for some schools, it's historically been significantly easier to get in as a transfer student than it is as a freshman applicant. So, and I'm not speaking to what will be tomorrow or even what was necessarily last year, but, you know, typically schools that are super hot for my students, University of Michigan, um, University of Miami, those two schools in particular, I have found over the years that it's much easier to transfer into those schools than it is Mm. to get in as a freshman applicant Mm. if you've done well in your first institution that you're, you know, going to be transferring from. Like three, five or above or? Yeah, I would say three, five or better because sometimes the colleges will list the minimum GPA and that doesn't mean that it's a competitive GPA. And so I think the critical thing also in terms of the current school, even if you're miserable, I really encourage students to the best of my ability 
to make sure that their grades are not in the toilet. Because if they're miserable, it's hard to perform your best. But if you're not performing your best, you're not going to have the opportunities that you want. So certainly a 35 or better, you know, obviously better is better. (laughs) But I think that there are certain schools, you know, the more elite schools, they have like a single low single digit transfer rate, you know, and for certain majors like computer science, it's super hard to transfer in as a computer science major. You pretty much can't transfer anywhere as a nursing major. Like most nursing programs are direct admit, not all of them. But Mm -hmm. so it's it's helping students understand the parameters that are going to be in place. And, you know, at the end of the day, does the transfer make sense based on their goals? So could you share any recent or notable stories of success and kind of what led to that student success? I have so many students who have had great situations. And I think success is measured by how happy the student is at the outcome. Not did they get into the Ivy Leagues of the world and whatnot. But several years ago, I had a young man who had started out of community college. He came to me as a non-traditional student. I think he was 26 or 27. When he came to me, he really hadn't had math in high school because of the special high school that he had gone to. And I connected him with a math tutor. And he came to me from community college and was getting an AAS which is an associate of applied science. And typically students who do that as opposed to an associate of arts or an associate of science, a lot of those credits from an AAS won't transfer because they're Mm -hmm. like technology oriented stuff that you can't find at the four-year school. So we got him to shift over to an AS degree instead. He was studying computer science and he ended up working with a math tutor who helped him get all the way up through Calc 3 before he transferred wow. to Columbia, oh yeah, he transferred to Columbia wow. College of General Studies, and That's he got an amazing job and was out across the country and is now moving back to New York and is just crushing it, you know, and has Wait, had. He went from no math to Calc three in one year, year and a half. That's yep. remarkable. Wow. It was remarkable. He took the Calc one class, the Calc two, and the Calc three, and he had tutoring because the intellect was there for it. He just didn't Mm -hmm. have the foundational knowledge. So that was an amazing success story. And I mean, I work the Kaplan scholars with whom I work. Those students generally come from really challenging backgrounds a lot of the time. And we've had students go on and, you know, graduate from top institutions across the country from the Ivies, you know, Princeton, Cornell, Brown, Stanford. We've had students graduate from Smith College, which is an amazing women's college in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And so... It's helping students realize that, you know, they shouldn't be deterred by where their starting point is. It's not about where you start. It's about where you're finishing. That's empowering you to go out and grab life in the way that you want it. And that's not by the name brand. It's by a school that's going to meet your needs and really challenge you, but not overwhelm you. One thing that stuck out to me in the second segment of my conversation with Deb was her notion that not only should you try to stick it out, to use her phrasing, framing that whole conversation in a positive light tends to shift the way that they're viewing that. That is something that we definitely try to do, I would say, in in tutoring, and particularly with struggling kids, is to frame the conversations that they've been having, whether it's with teachers, parents, 
parents in their own internal sort of struggle flip that around into a sort of more positive vision of oneself. It's interesting that they take that approach with transfers. And if you think about a transfer, it's really not just a strategic upping of position. It's really a moment of identity crisis in that they've really sort of bombed or flamed out or for whatever reason really not succeeded in that first real ambition in their lives and going to a place of higher education and are then taking that next step. That, I think, can have profound reverberations on their identity, potentially for the rest of their life. So I think it's great that they frame that in a positive way. And like she said, be moving towards something and not away from something. Sometimes just making that one contextual shift and framing a conversation makes all the difference in the world for a kid. Another thing that stuck out to me was the timing of applying for all of those transfers. As she says, the deadlines vary anywhere from February 1st to April 15th, and that's for the fall of the following year. You know, to say nothing of deadlines if you're entering in the middle of the year in the spring, the admission rates varying, and then you throw in even the element of finance. That can be a very complicated picture, especially when you consider, well, how are things going in my current school? and you know, she said, well, you really have to be doing well, right? I mean, if you're trying, especially if you're trying to take a step up into maybe a more competitive school, you have to be getting 3.5 or higher. That number actually kind of stuck out to me. You know, in order to do that and then to apply with this complex timeline, wow, that sounds really stressful. It's hard enough when all your applications are due November 1st or if you're doing regular deadline, maybe it's January 1st, but there's a set deadline and a set timeline and a set rhythm and routine for these things. Sounds simple enough, but just having that level of predictability, I feel like can, to use a term that I like to use for kids with anxiety and anxiety-related conditions, it can anchor those kids in a very difficult time. So I think that transfer process can be very difficult and it makes freshman year all the harder. Perhaps that's why they tend to coach kids to see if they can succeed in their initial college before they consider a transfer. I've read in a, in a lot of places that the attrition rate, so the rate of kids who don't make it through freshman year, including two-year schools, professional schools, community colleges, 25%. So 25% of kids who begin their freshman year do not make it to the sophomore year. But why do you think that is? I think that that's largely going to be, I don't know if the stat you saw broke it down, but my guess is that's largely also low-income students, first-gen students, students of color are going to predominantly be in that situation because the support is not necessarily available on campus to ensure their success. You know, there are schools where they have put proactive programs in place where they've got special support for first gen students or a lot of times it's navigating the financial piece and mm, a lot yeah. of schools yeah. you know a lot of students going into a lot of debt you know when i work with my capital scholars they a lot of times will go in with the belief oh you know if i go to suny or i go to rutgers or whatever you know depending on what state they're coming from that's going to be cheaper for me not realizing that actually those schools are pretty much only going to give you whatever federal government money in terms of loans and maybe Pell Grant, which is pretty small and whatnot. And then they're hit with books. They're hit with healthcare fees that they don't know that mom and dad's healthcare might actually work for them. So they could save $3,000. They're mm -hmm. hit 
with having situations on campus where, that they're not prepared to handle because nobody taught them how to handle it compared to more affluent students. So my guess right. is that, you know, and I know that the stat actually for community college students that go on to complete a four-year degree is about 10%. And that shouldn't right. be the way it is. Our goal within the Captain Leadership Program is that every student that starts community college should have the plan to be transferring to a four-year school. They shouldn't feel that there is a limitation on them unless there's something specific that they want to do that only requires a two-year degree. And a lot of community colleges function as a technical degree type program these days, like right. the AAS that I was telling you about. But the supports are not in place to ensure success for people that maybe don't have family support or don't have the family knowledge because the right. parents weren't educated or weren't educated here and don't know all the ins and outs of it. Or, and this is a big one too, is a lot of students, particularly students of color and low-income students, have imposter syndrome. Like, I don't belong in this space. That, mm, you know, clearly no, it's not no. meant for somebody else, not for right. me. And they were right. I, I, I just don't belong here. I came from community college. What do I, you know, how do I deserve to be among these people who have gone to prep schools and day schools and top public high schools and you know, that sort of thing. So I think that that's a big piece of that. I have seen students who have accommodations for a learning issue or ADHD or whatever it might be, where they can get certain accommodations in high school. And some of those accommodations simply don't exist in college. Or a student has been able to take a lighter load or take classes where they're not particularly challenged because the belief is, oh, we don't want to stress Deb out. We want her to feel confident and we want her to feel empowered and get A's and whatever. And then it comes and smacks you upside the head. You get to college and you only yeah, cover two right. basic, you know, algebra two without trigonometry, without pre-calculus. You're tracked somewhere where you can't even get to that level in math to prepare mm -hmm. you for college mm -hmm. or you've never really had to write a research paper. And I think that, you know, there's a lot more handholding and, oh, you can do extra credit or you can do this, things that don't exist in college, but kids go to college and there's no wiggle room, mm. there's no handholding, mm -hmm. yep. especially at yeah. the schools. And, yeah. you know, okay. kids are overwhelmed. You go into a lecture of five, 500 people and right. how do you go ask the professor for help? There are 200 people waiting outside the door there on a Saturday right. morning. Right, right, right. Exactly. And that's a different... Different set of expectations, right? So just in thinking about sort of some of the contemporary trends, and we kind of touched on this, but how's the pandemic impacted transfers and college admission generally? I think I've seen an increase in the number of transfer students I'm seeing. Last year, I had a lot where students had started fall of 21 during the pandemic, depending on how lockdown was handled at schools that were back to in-person you know, classes. It's still the what happened prior to that and how it was managed definitely impacted kids and their feelings of you know it, it impacted their socialization their ability to handle stress i mean the pandemic has messed everyone up from high school from college you know and this year we're seeing that our students who are seniors that did i guess it's their sophomore year was all online learning right there was yeah. definitely a learning loss and a socialization mm -hmm. loss and they don't know how to interact and whatnot with people, have conversations with people, reach out to professors in a way that 
is, you know, proactive or that helps them build their confidence and independence. And so I think that we're seeing students struggle more than they have and wanting to transfer as a result. Or they are transferring because they they didn't realize, as I said earlier, like what the school was really like. So I think that I, I haven't seen a statistic, but my guess is that the number of transfer students, which typically hovers around 35% of students, will transfer at least once in their college career for a lot of reasons, because of mismatch academically, mismatch socially, the pandemic, you know, in there is just exacerbating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And you know, in terms of parents and, and students, they need to be aware that the process is more complicated. So they need to give it more time to get it done because of the different deadlines and the different requirements for each school. And they shouldn't have as big a list as they might have had. You know, when we work with freshman applicants, we recommend no more than 10 schools. We think that students don't typically do a good job after that on essays. And if they can even do a good job up until 10, you know, stay motivated for 10. But typically the transfer list should be even smaller than that. You know, it should be a really just succinct list and students should have a better idea of, again, what they're moving towards and not just anything but whatever school they're leaving. Right. Totally. So, yeah, if you had one sort of parting piece of advice for parents and students who are kind of considering that transfer, what would that parting advice be? It would really be focus on fit. All right. I have students who, you know, come out of super name brand schools that don't have great job offerings because they didn't take advantage of what they could do during their time on campus. And I have students who come out of schools that the status conscious family or, you know, general population wouldn't say like, wow, that's an impressive school. And they go out and get a freaking amazing job. So it's a lot about what do you do with your time on campus? What do you take advantage of in terms of research opportunities, in terms of internships, in terms of, you know, abroad programs or service learning programs that help you grow. And those are the things that, you know, typically are while name brand will maybe get you in the door or get you a first look someplace, when you look at the percentage of students who are going out into the workforce that get to go to those elite schools, clearly those are not the only people getting jobs when they get out of college. So focus sure. on fit, focus on using your time at the mm-hmm. institution to mm-hmm. grow personally, to grow intellectually, to open your mind to meeting different kinds of people who come to the table with different perspectives that are just as valuable as yours in most situations, (laughs) not hateful things, but, you know, in positive ways and people who are, you know, looking to build communities and looking to improve the world, find those people, find those people, connect with those people and set goals together on how you can go forward and be a change agent. Here are a few things that stuck out to me about my conversation with Deb. Transfers to me are an extension of the American dream, not to overstate it. But the American dream really, you know, and we can debate whether it's a truth or a fiction, but really the American dream is about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, being able to shift your position in our society. It's wherever you came from ascending to a greater wealth or authority or fame or whatever it is. I mean, think about the stories, you know, that are going to be success stories coming from this type of transfer service. She mentioned the kid who had had no math and then made it all the way up through Calc 3, which is higher than I made it, in one and a half years, 
and then ends up at Columbia. I mean, that's an American story, right? I mean, the kid that comes from the gutter and ascends to the highest position in our society. So I guess that's what I find intriguing about transfers is that it's never too late to make that kind of move, you know? So certainly there's great possibility in that and perhaps seductive possibility in that, but I think it's an important part of the college system. Maybe is it a bit underrated, but if you have a strong transfer system, then that initial enrollment doesn't feel so final. I think that can sometimes feel like a death sentence to those who that process doesn't go so well for. Another thing that stuck out to me was that dynamic between high school and college expectations. I asked her at one point, why is it that we see such a high attrition rate, 25% of kids in the freshman year don't make it? And part of the reason that she pointed to was that maybe they're not quite as coddled as much in college as they are in high school. That's absolutely true. I mean, particularly if you're coming from a private institution, and I taught there for 15 years. I mean, in private school, not only is it not okay to fail, and by fail, I mean get a C. It's a crisis of upper proportion. If a kid starts getting a C in English, which is, by the way, kind of failing at this point in high school, you would see these sort of interventions. You would see counselors coming in, parents, obviously, administration. You'd have these enormous meetings and talk about, well, what can little Jimmy do better? How can we better support him? They don't do that in college. <laughs> <laughs> not, not even a little bit. There is just such a dramatic difference in that bottle factor between high school and college that so that can be a very abrupt shift for everyone involved. Parents, kids, you know, that's stressful and, and something perhaps they're not prepared for. And I think that's really a failure in the part of the high school system, which has basically made itself into a, let's get our kids into the best college system by any means necessary. Artificially inflating grades, propping up the kids that perhaps aren't doing so well. It's the effects of that have been really unfortunate and really have not served that student population that is sort of dragged along through high school until they finally reach their moment of reckoning. And they all do. They all do reach that moment of reckoning sooner or later because our society is not forgiving as a freshman year of a private high school. So count me as someone who would like to see more of a bridge between high school and college in that way. That's actually exactly what our service does.